0: This is Alopecia Life with your host, Deanne Graham. You'll hear interviews with specialists in their field and parents who are helping their child move through life while living with alopecia areata, along with conversations with alopecia rock stars who are making a difference. Alopecia Life is here to provide you with support, accurate information, inspiring stories, and life hacks to help you navigate the world of hair loss. Whether you've just been diagnosed or have had it for ages, Alopecia Life has been created to share all the information you may want or need to do alopecia your way.
1: Welcome to this episode of Alopecia Life. I'm excited to have today's guest with us today. Anthony Gilding has an important role as the first director of science and research communication at the Canadian Alopecia Areata Foundation. His experience in research, along with his own alopecia diagnosis, has put him in a unique position to help on both a personal and professional level. Today's episode covers a bit about research, his own story of hair loss, and a population within our own alopecia community that hasn't yet connected. Anthony, welcome to alopecia life today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
1: Yeah. So I have just. A lot of questions that have come through my head since you and I talked a few weeks ago. I'm really excited to share all that you're doing in the alopecia community and in your personal life. I think that right now, let's just jump right in and talk about how and when you were diagnosed with alopecia.
2: Sure. So my very first encounter with alopecia was actually when I was seven. Uh, I only had a couple of small bald spots. They were very tiny. And they went away with steroid cream after just a a few weeks or even a few months. And then I didn't have to deal with it again until I was 14. And it came back the same way. So I thought, okay, let's use the steroid cream again and everything should be fine. But instead, over the course of the next few months after that, it progressed to totalis. And then in about 2017, I was in... Pueblo and Universalis. So that's what I've had since then.
1: Thanks for sharing that. And so you have kind of a very cool role at CANAF that is really exciting to me. Um, Can you tell listeners a little bit more about that?
2: Absolutely. So in 2020, I became the first director of science and research communication to the Canadian Alopecia Areata Foundation, or CANAF. And so My role in that, I am essentially their science and research communicator because alopecia is a very complicated condition. There's a lot that we don't know about it. And what we do know, if you were to look at the the research, it can be kind of confusing to understand if you don't have a science background like myself. So Mm -hmm. what I do is I assist them with coming up with educational materials and I've given presentations on the condition, and I think the most influential thing that I'm doing right now is I'm working with a a team of dermatologists at SickKids Hospital in Toronto, and we are running a study Canada-wide to assess the burden of the condition of alopecia in people who have it, because we know that it, it is a very burdensome condition, but we don't actually have any Canadian data to support that. And so this will be the first study of its kind in Canada. And so I've been really fortunate to be able to spearhead that.
1: Yeah. And what's that going to look like then as far as getting it out there to people who are living with alopecia?
2: Yeah. So what we did was we surveyed over a hundred patients and caregivers across the country and we are writing it up into a manuscript as we would with any research study. And we're going to publish it in a Canadian dermatology journal, hopefully. But what we're planning on doing after is we want to come up with a sort of like a report that outlines everything that we've learned and how we're going to use this information moving forward. So the people that would benefit from this type of work, uh, pharmaceutical companies, healthcare providers, they'll all be able to see what it is that exactly alopecia does to people living with it and their caregivers.
1: That's incredible. When do you think that the results will be out and available for, I guess it's really, it will be for the science community, right? It'll be for the doctors to look at and say, this is what we can do to guide our appointments. I mean, hopefully that's what
2: we're always hoping for, right? Yeah. So we're actually writing the manuscript now. We have all of our results, but we're hoping to have it published by the end of this year. But I think that you raised a very good point, because I think that we are really trying to aim at the healthcare providers, because generally speaking, what they know about alopecia is what they've learned about in medical school and in their formal training, but not all of them can really appreciate the emotional and psychosocial impact that this disease has on patients. Mm -hmm. And so I think this will be very, very critical for them to be able to actually understand what we're going through and then tailor the care that they provide to meet those needs.
1: So I guess something that's kind of weighing on me now as I'm listening to this is, is it going to be mostly based on treatment versus, like you say, it's going to be tailored Tailored to the patient, but is it really going to be around medicating, or are we going to have access? Our Canadians, I guess I'm a US uh-huh. resident, so I shouldn't say we, um, but Canadian people living with alopecia, are they going to have access to things like psychotherapy or seeing a coach or be, maybe looking outside the standard range of what's being offered to them currently?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually something that was brought up quite a bit by all of the patients and the caregivers that we've spoken to. A lot of them feel like their condition isn't being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. They're being told that it's just a cosmetic condition and, you know, you should, for lack of a better word, get over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of them have expressed the want and really the need for psychosocial care, either with a therapist or with a a life coach. And so I think this work is really going to highlight the importance of that and the importance of healthcare providers proactively providing these resources. Because Mm -hmm. I know for me and for a lot of patients, we're kind of told, well, if you want support, then I recommend that you go and seek it out. And then they kind of just leave them to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. Whereas we're trying to say that, no, the healthcare providers need to be the ones to be giving patients these resources at the beginning of their yes. alopecia journey.
1: Yeah. I totally agree with you. I think that that's, that's a shortcoming in in any medical community and any medical experience, I should say. And I know Absolutely. you're coming, you know, you're listening as a scientist and someone who's living with this. So I think you're in a really unique and awesome position to mm-hmm. um, really speak to both sides of this and, and yeah, having those resources because even you know, I had an interview with KNF a couple of weeks ago. I was mm-hmm. part of the speaker series, and we talked about really having those resources in the beginning. You know, we shouldn't be hearing from people two years down the road saying, "Oh, I didn't know about KNF. Oh, I didn't know about this resource. I didn't know I yeah. had access to this." And and it's really it should be the first line of defense that people get.
2: Absolutely, yeah. When I was diagnosed in 2014, again, it hit me. Extremely hard, I would say, for about a, a year, I almost lived in reclusion. I didn't want to leave my home. If I did, it was only for essential purposes, and I was always covering up my alopecia. I finished my high school diploma at home because mm. I, I had a bad experience in school, and they weren't willing to help me succeed. So I had to make that choice. And mm. it really wasn't until a year and a half later that I I got very, very effective mental health care. And so I would hate to Mm. see that happen to other people with alopecia. And I know that it does. And so I'm really hoping that the work that I'm doing now and that I continue to do, will be able to change that for people in the future.
1: Oh, yeah, I can totally see that happening. And I just want to say thank you so much for just being such a huge part of this.
2: It's awesome. Thank you. It's my pleasure.
1: Do you feel like within the study that you were doing with the, with the 100 people that there was kind of a disconnect between um, the seriousness, like you even said, you know, saying, Oh, just get over it. But it Mm. was, was it more so for men versus women or was it kind of, were you finding the same kind of response from each gender, I guess?
2: Yeah. I think that, in my own experience and the men that I've spoken to and that I've, I've interacted with, it really feels like, and I can't speak for all of us, but of it, course. it feels like we're being told that it's not that big of a deal to us compared to it is for women. Like mm-hmm. I know for me, I was often told, oh, you know, men can be bald. It's perfectly fine. Like there's mm-hmm. bald men all the time. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, that's fine. But I don't want to be bald and this is affecting me. Right, um, and so you know, even in the study, I would say the same thing. A lot of the men didn't feel very supported, and they felt like they were going at this alone. So there absolutely is a, a disconnect when it comes to gender. I would say, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I I think I I hear that all the time. I hear mothers, especially, saying parents within groups saying, "Oh, you know, at least." at least he's a boy, you know, he'll yeah. be fine. It, there's just such a, an interesting rhetoric around the entire
2: thing. for yeah, boys it's very, very minimizing to say mm-hmm. that, you know, you really don't have any reason to be upset by this because mm-hmm. there's a lot of men who are involved and that's just, it's mm-hmm. very counterproductive and I would argue very harmful to someone who was just diagnosed. Oh, with
1: absolutely, absolutely. I would love to talk about some other things that were going on in your life when you were 14. I know you mm-hmm. and I talked about some things that, you know, they were they were crossing over in your life and so let's yeah. talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So the same year that I developed alopecia 2014 was the year that I decided I was going to come out as gay. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people who are gay kind of had known for a good portion of their life and I had known and I was waiting for the time that I felt most comfortable and 2014 was going to be that year for me. Mm -hmm. And then I just so happened to develop alopecia at around the same time. And so that was really conflicting because I was grappling with two things. I was grappling with accepting who I was internally and being able to share that with other people, Mm -hmm. but then also adjusting to my alopecia and and how I was going to deal with that. And so I often found myself juggling the two and deciding, well, am I going to come out as gay first? Am Mm -hmm. I going to share my alopecia with everyone first? Mm -hmm. And it it really ended up being a little bit of both, Mm -hmm. but uh, it was definitely a very unique experience to say the least. And I think there was a lot of similarities because when it came to my alopecia, I was debating whether or not I wanted to share it on social media, who I wanted to tell. And that's quite similar to the experience of coming out as gay, because mm-hmm. I, you know, you have to decide who am I going to trust to share this with? Right. And so the intersection of the two things definitely made things very challenging, but I think it's made me a stronger person at the end because of it.
1: Yeah. You just kind of come to this this like, okay, this is the year I'm doing it, you know, I'm yep. going to share, I'm going to trust, I'm going to come out with this. And then, yeah. And then the whole alopecia thing just re-presents itself to you. So I've wondered myself, you know, how how that did translate, right? Where you're going, okay, is this like coming out? And like you said, it was very much like that. Yeah. And, and it's about the trust thing, I think so much, right? Who Who can I trust to accept me right in this new absolutely. way of living in the world right even though that it isn't new it is who you yeah. are so what kind of response did you get overall
2: uh well from my family it was absolutely amazing and what I thought it would be and I think if it weren't for them I would really be struggling as mm-hmm. far as coming out this gay. but even with the alopecia I mean I'm the only one in both sides of my family to have this we didn't really know anything about it before I got it so mm-hmm. They were very, very accepting for both things. In terms of friends and other people that I interact with, as far as being gay, they were very accepting. There are are, lots of gay people that I knew at the time, so I wasn't too concerned about that. With the alopecia, it was kind of a a mixed bag. Some people were extremely supportive and would say, you know, we're still going to be your friend either way. We're here for you. It doesn't change who you are. And then there were some people who really didn't react very well. They kind of became distant because they didn't know what to think about it. And I guess they didn't really want to get to know more about it. So mm-hmm. that was definitely tough. And like I alluded to, I had a poor experience in my last years of high school, which right. led me to finishing my di- diploma at home. Mm-hmm. But I would say that largely the Reaction was very supportive, and it was overall very good.
1: Awesome, and you talk about how you don't hear much from the LGBTQ community. Is that right? I mean, just and 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 alopecia. That that combination of of being a gay man and Mm -hmm. and alopecia. Is that something that you kind of want to pursue as far as like just reaching out to folks? Because I think if if you're not hearing much about it, then
2: there's probably a, mm. a need for it, right? Absolutely. I would say that community of people doesn't exist as far as I know. Like I'm the only gay person or gay man that I'm aware of at least here in Toronto. I'm sure I'm not the only one, Mm -hmm. but it just goes to show that we don't see this representation at all. Mm -hmm. And so I I absolutely would like to pursue this further and and reach out to that community because I think dealing with alopecia in general is is very difficult. But when you have that coupled with your own sexual orientation or, or gender identity exploration, it makes it very tough and it would be much easier or at least more tolerable if you had a group of people who could really resonate with how you're feeling. And so Mm -hmm. as I pursue my career as a a scientist and a dermatologist, I absolutely want to devote more time and resources to that group.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. A few years ago at the NAF conference, a girlfriend of mine decided she wanted to lead an LGBTQ workshop during the conference they had a relatively small group of people, but right. I know that it provided such great support. And like you said, just you know, it if you don't know it's available, then where are you supposed to find it? And so that was a really very powerful workshop that happened there. But it has to be somebody who's offering it, right? You have to go, oh hey, exactly. guess what? This isn't being offered. I'd like to do that. And so I think even within Cana, it sounds like they're quite open to different workshops and things like that that haven't been presented before. And I th- I think that would be fantastic to offer that to folks around Canada for sure.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of the issue just has to do with, at least as far as CANAP goes, and I, I don't want to speak for other people, but right. before I was on the board, there may not have been anyone who identified as LGBTQ who was mm-hmm. comfortable leading such a session. And yeah. I think because we know that it's a very small group, Sometimes the mentality just in general, not a can app, is that well, if it's not that many people, is it mm-hmm. really worth pursuing? If it's only going to be one or two people who show up. And I would argue that it is because if it's even just just one, one. person who you're impacting, mm-hmm. that makes a huge difference. And then mm-hmm. we can grow off of that. And that one person will find another person and mm-hmm. eventually we'll have a whole group of people who were here for each other, who were really benefiting from this.
1: Right. Absolutely. I 100% agree. That's awesome. I saw in your bio that you are actually, are you in medical school right now? Or is that you're building up to that right now? I'm
2: building up to that. So I'm finishing up my bachelor's degree in biomedical science, and Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that next year I'm in medical school or doing a master's and then medical school. But that is the ultimate goal. And you are hoping to get into dermatology. Is that right? Yeah. So I've always wanted to be a physician. It's kind of just been a passion of mine. I'm not really sure where it came from. And before I developed alopecia, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to medical school. And when I do that, I'll decide the medical specialty that I want to pursue. Mm -hmm. And then when I developed alopecia and I realized that dermatology was going to be the area of medicine that was going to care for people like me. That's when I decided that's the kind of position that I want to be because dermatology is a huge field and we all know about it, but a lot of it is cosmetic. That's where cosmetic dermatology Mm -hmm. is really what people think about when they think about dermatology, but medical dermatology and conditions like alopecia, there really is a very big need for dedicated, Yes. dermatologist, caring for patients in this very small area. And so that's exactly what I want to do with my career.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. What do you see coming up for? I mean, obviously you yourself are very, very busy, but what do you see coming up for future of CANF and also your part there? And and after, I guess, research in general, what are you hoping for, for alopecia?
2: Yeah, well, I can definitely say since I joined CANF, we have grown quite a bit. We're getting so much more engagement than we were before. And I find that alopecia is becoming a much less taboo, sort of less talked about subject. So, in that respect, I definitely see us growing. You know, we've added more board members since I joined. And so, mm-hmm. on a national perspective, we are really growing. In terms of research, I think the big hurdle has always been that we don't have the funding we need to conduct the research. We have the scientists and the researchers and the clinicians to do it, but we don't have the funding. And I think that I see things getting better as time goes on. You know, since I've joined the board, we're interacting with a lot of pharmaceutical companies who are acknowledging the importance of conducting research in this area. We're seeing very big clinical trials in the area of JAK inhibitors for treating alopecia. So I think that the future is bright. And I'm very, very hopeful that as I endure my training as a dermatologist, that I'll be able to directly impact that and perhaps even start my own major alopecia research project.
1: Fantastic. And when folks are looking for you, how can they find you online?
2: Yeah, so they can find me on the CanApp website. You can also find me on Instagram. I'm very happy to interact with people there. And I I know you have my handle, so you'll be able Mm -hmm. to post that. But yeah, I regularly am connecting with patients who email me or they contact me on Instagram, or LinkedIn. So I'm always very, very happy to connect with people that way.
1: Awesome. Yep. I'll have all of that in the show notes for people to reference and get in touch with you then. Yeah. Did you want to share anything else today? Uh,
2: I just want to emphasize that alopecia is so much more than hair loss. I think it really is an emotional and psychosocial condition as much as it is a physical condition, because at least for me, and I think a lot of people with alopecia will say the same thing. When you lose your hair, especially at at the magnitude that you do with alopecia, you really feel like you're losing your identity because Mm -hmm. when you see someone and when you think of someone, you typically think about how they look. And so when you have lived with hair and eyebrows for, you know, your entire life, and then all of a sudden you lose that, feels like you're losing that part of your identity. And so it really takes a lot of introspection and Mm -hmm. well-rounded care to get to a point where you can find yourself again and live your life irrespective of how much hair you have. Because I think it took quite a bit of time, but when I I really accepted my hair loss, I just thought, you know, life is moving on, Mm
0: -hmm. whether or
2: not I want it to, whether or not I'm happy living like this, life is going to go on and so if that's the case then let me find out or re-find who I am with or without my hair and I think it it has absolutely made me a stronger more insightful person because of it even though I don't love the alopecia nobody does it really has made me a very strong resilient person and I'm very hopeful that everyone with alopecia is able to find that
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Thank you so much, Anthony, for sharing all of that with us and for being with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your time with Anthony and I today. I appreciate Anthony's honesty as we approach National Coming Out Day that is recognized on October 11th every year. Some may be asking if we need a day to celebrate coming out. Others may wonder if we need a day or month to celebrate alopecia areata. Anthony and I both agree that right now, a day, a week, a month, whatever it may be is necessary to say, see me, this is who I am. But the hope for the future is that we don't need a special day to share who we are with the world. To find out more about the research efforts and results Anthony is working on, or to reach out to him on social media, you can find those links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.
0: you for listening join our alopecia life facebook group and find out more information at head the information on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice diagnosis or treatment and is meant for general information purposes only if you're enjoying these episodes and finding the tips helpful please subscribe and leave a review on apple podcasts stitcher spotify or wherever you listen to and download podcasts